You're listening to TIP. But look, I love this game. I love it. I'm going to try to prove everybody wrong that I can do this. I can build an empire without working 80 hours a week. And it's almost like me preaching to myself. I write this content all day. I write this newsletter. I talk about delegation and I am really preaching to myself. People think like, oh, Nick is such a great teacher. I'm just reminding myself of what I should be doing. I'm not perfect. Hey guys, in this week's episode, I got to sit down with the one and only Nick Huber, aka Sweaty Startup, to chat about his strategy of using the power of Twitter to launch multiple businesses. You also learn how overseas talent has been a game changer for him, why you need to lead an interesting life to gain a larger Twitter following, why he shares his playbook openly, what his current views of the market are, how he manages his time while launching businesses and creating content, plus a whole lot more. Nick is a serial entrepreneur, investor, and content creator focused on real estate and small business. In the last nine months, Nick has co-founded six companies, including RE CostSeg, Titan Risk, Tax Credit Hunter, and Web Run Labs. His primary business, Bolt Storage, owns 1.8 million square feet of self-storage facilities across 62 locations in 11 states. This interview was a real treat for me. I've been a huge fan of Nick's for a long time, and I've learned a ton from him over the years on both podcasts and Twitter. I hope you guys enjoy this one as much as I did. And so, without further delay, let's get into this week's episode with Nick Huber. You are listening to Real Estate 101 by the Investors Podcast Network, where your hosts, Robert Leonard and Patrick Donnelly, interview successful investors from various real estate investing niches to help educate you on your real estate investing journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate 101 podcast. I'm your host today, Patrick Donnelly. And with me today is none other than Mr. Sweaty Startup, Nick Huber. Nick, welcome to the show. Patrick, thanks for having me. I think it's been maybe two and a half years since I went on with Robert. So um, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's been a while and we are happy to have you back. I wanted to just kind of jump right in here. Three or so months for you has been kind of a different chapter of your life, it seems like. I think you've launched six different businesses, maybe more at this point. I'm not, it's hard to keep up, but I wanted to hear about the startups. I want to hear about how you've gone about partnering with the people you've chosen to launch the businesses with. And then go into a little bit about the ones that you feel like you're really excited about, the ones that you feel like have the most upside potential. Yeah. So I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I love starting businesses. I love running businesses. And it turns out to have kind of a competitive advantage, a cheat code when it comes to launching companies, you need a couple things. And in the last couple of years of my life, I've been able to get those things. And one of them is distribution, meaning I have a tremendous reach now of business owners, entrepreneurs who follow me. They read my newsletter each week. They listen to my podcast. They hang out with me on Twitter. And when you have that many folks who run companies and they start to trust you, they get a look into your mind about how you think about things. And when you can recommend solid stuff to them, there's an opportunity to do some business. So I think the biggest one recently that's kind of I'm most excited about is the cost segregation firm. I had an affiliate referral program with a cost seg firm. They're doing some work with me. And um, we parted ways and my CPA who had also done you know a ton of cost segs in his life, Mitchell Baldridge, he and I launched a, a company called RE Cost Seg uh, a little over a year ago. It's funny because just last month, I think on May 5th or 6th, we were looking, we said, wow, we registered the domain recostseg.com a year ago and we had done 650 plus cost segs. We have a team of 26 people now, majority of them are engineers and it's a rocket ship. So that's one. But yeah, we have a uh, performance marketing company, Ad Rhino. We have a web development company, WebRun. We have a search engine optimization firm, Bold SEO. We have a recruiting company for overseas talent. 
in Colombia and the Philippines and support Shepherd. So I got a lot of things going on right now. So I think from listening to some of the podcasts, like in kind of researching for the interview here, wasn't uh, Shepherd the first one that you kind of got into partnering with somebody, and then that's kind of launched into these, you know, several other ones that you've developed. Talk to us about that first one with Shepherd, how that developed, just how you realize the, I guess, the power of Twitter, the power of just partnering with people and getting equity in in these companies. Yeah. So 2021, my company was growing fast. It was the spring. We, were, we went on to buy a lot of real estate that year. I, needed, I wanted to explore hiring Filipino and Colombian talent, Colombia and Latin America and, and the Philippines overseas. And I reached out to a guy who's now my good friend. His name is Marshall Haas. He owned a company called Support Shepherd, supportshepherd.com. And he set me up. He's like, yeah, we can help you find somebody. This is how it works. They helped me build the job description. They, they did some vetting and they brought me three candidates. And this was April 2021. I interviewed all three of these folks in the Philippines in an hour, interviewed them all back to back. And I hired all three of the employees. I was the first customer that had ever done that with them. It's like, wow, this is incredible. I can, you're telling me I can get this level of talent, these kind of people for $5 an hour, like $850 to $1,000 a month. So it was kind of mind-blowing to me. And soon after that, he's like, well, why don't you become an affiliate with our business? Why don't you talk about your experience with us on Twitter? We'll give you a share of revenue. I think when I was a customer for the first time in April of that year, they were doing 30, 40, 50 grand a month of revenue, doing you know, 15 or 20 placements. Now, fast forward a year later, we had, I had done the affiliate stuff. I had talked about my experience with them on Twitter. I continued to use them to hire and build out a branch of my business. And the company had grown six or seven times to $250,000 a month and almost 100 placements a month. So I went to Marshall and I said, Hey, look, this is a good business. I want to be a partner. I want to own part of it. We negotiated. I took a minority share, 15% ownership share of the company. But you fast forward to today and the company's exploded. I mean, if somebody approached us and wanted to buy it for $20 million, we'd probably say no at this point. It's massive. So that kind of woke me up to the power of distribution. And yes, they had a lot of repeat business. 51% of their customers are return customers. And it's not all attributable to my talking about it on Twitter. But as you've seen over the last months, you know, once or twice a month, I can get a, a tweet about this business to go insane viral to millions of people to see it. So once I realized the power of that, I, I kind of got serious about launching several other companies and got more serious about it. So when you approached, I guess it was not Mitchell, but the first guy you were actually doing your cost seg studies with for your self-storage units, you were getting like affiliate referral. Yeah. And this is significant affiliate referrals. I mean, Shepard, 20, 30 grand a month at times for affiliate, you know, promoting these people on Twitter and to my audience. So I went to the cost seg guy and said, Hey, you know, I want to own part of your company. And he just didn't play ball. He's like, no, I have a great business here. It's been an amazing relationship. My business has tripled since we started working together. Did he like, just not want to grow or was what was the situation there? Like I asked him for equity for nothing in exchange. I mean, and he said, This is my equity. I don't need you. At that point you approached Mitchell and yep. what was that like? What was that like conversation? How did it go? You know, you're starting a, a company from scratch. He had yep. been doing cost seg studies though, right? He does high net worth real estate tax work, basically. So a ton of his clients do cost segs. He had done several on new developments himself, and he's one of the smartest guys I know. So pretty quickly in conversation with him, around the same time I was negotiating with the other player, we're like, Mitchell, let's go do this. And we did. And that was a year ago. And same with kind of Shepard. Didn't you kind of tell the guy, I'm going to start my own thing if we don't partner here? So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I, I mean, it's not like I was acting in a negative way with poor intentions. It, it was more like, hey, 
we've had a great run. Like this has been an amazing thing for you. It's been an amazing thing for me and my family. I've grown your company. You've sent me a lot of money. This is great, but I need equity in this to keep doing it. If you want to keep doing it, that's fine. If not, we can part ways and I'll go, I'll go start my own. Yeah. And it's worked out great. It sounds like for everyone involved. So it's a win-win. I mean, I, I was listening earlier to one of your, it was a quick, you know, 10 minute little YouTube video that you did about kind of a, a mindset change where you met with a guy, I think it was Jim. He was a financial planner in DC and just kind of how you change your entire mindset about sharing your playbook. Yep. Can you talk to us a little bit about that experience with him and just how you've gone about like freely giving your playbook on Twitter and in DMs and responding to people? So I think a common misconception, I get this question all the time. Hey, how do I get distribution as well? I want to get 300,000 followers on Twitter. How can I grow my personal brand? How can I build a following? And first of all, nobody is willing to actually do the work in real life to be interesting. If you're not building a business, a world-class athlete, a famous movie star, a country singer, like it's really hard to get people to want to follow you on Twitter unless you're notable, unless you're doing uncomfortable, exciting things that other people want to do. Making money is one of those things. You're going to tweet about money and tweet about building businesses, but it turns out you've never actually tried it or done it. It's really hard. So that's something that nobody wants to hear. That's my first piece of advice to anybody who wants to get a following. Okay, are you doing anything in real life that's interesting? If not, forget getting a following. But the other part of it is people network the wrong way. People network with their hand out and they say, hey, how can you help me? They're going around the internet saying, help me, help me, help me. They're going around to cocktail parties saying, hey, help me, help me, help me. This is what I do. How could you help me? And I kind of just flipped that on its head and said, hey, I'm going to for free on Twitter. I'm going to go and tell everybody everything that I know, everything that I know. And real estate is a close to the vest, like family secretive business where you don't, people just don't talk about how real estate wealth is built and made unless you're in it, unless you're part of it, unless you're kind of one of the people in the culture. So I had a friend in DC who kind of shifted my thinking on this a couple of years back. And I walked into his office and I was not his client. I was not his paying client. I sat in the office and he did a full whiteboard breakdown of my entire net worth, where my money was, you know, where I was paying the most taxes, where my risk was. And he brought his CPA in and his tax attorney and his estate planning attorney. And they did a, a 45 minute breakdown of exactly what I should do to set up everything what accounts I should set up, how I should do my estate planning, where I can avoid taxes here. Hey, have you thought about cash out refi instead of selling this property? A ton of very valuable advice. And then he took my phone out and he took a picture of the whiteboard when we were done and sent me a text and said, go do all these things, go do them all. And I was like, Jim, do you do this for everybody? Like, You bring them in here and you do a complete brain dump. You add a ton of value. You just gave me thousands of dollars worth of consulting and you're not even going to charge me. And you're not even going to put a hard pitch on me to become a client or want me to buy anything. And he goes, Nick, you don't understand. He's like, I do this. I come in here. I do this for everybody who comes in. My goal is to have an hour long conversation with them and give them so much good advice that they walk out and their head is about to explode and they have a to-do list three miles long about how to make their life better. And when I do that, two things happen. First thing is they trust me. They begin to like me. They understand that I know what I'm talking about. And number two, anytime they have another problem in the future, they're going to come back to me. So what happens is before the person leaves my office, about 20, 30% of the time, they sign a retainer agreement for us to represent them, to help them. And the ones who don't, they walk out, another 50% of them, they walk out and they call me back a month later with another problem. Turns out people who are in business, doing business, it's a dynamic environment and they always need help and they come right back to me. And then that last 20, 30%, yeah, that's, that's a sunk cost. That's marketing cost. They're gone. They're not my clients. I don't care about that. But what happens is when I add value, when I add value first to everybody's life, it all comes back around. It comes right back to me. 
So it can be a massive advantage. My mind exploded. Here was a guy who was not giving a hard sales pitch. He was not walking around saying, hey, pay me, pay me. He was not saying, oh, I'll tell you the answer if you pay me. He wasn't doing any of that. He was literally giving, adding nonstop value for as much time as possible, holding nothing back. And turned out that was an amazing way for him to build a business. That's a similar thing that I've done on the internet is, hey, what can I teach people about real estate? What can I teach people about small business? Here it is. This is it. This is, these are the profit and loss statements of my storage facility. I'm going to be radically open about how we do business and how we make money. Turns out uh, a lot of people relate to that. It's been incredible. I mean, it's kind of changed the whole ethos of like real estate Twitter, you know, like that is like kind of that abundance mentality rather than the scarcity mindset that, like you said, most real estate investors typically keep things kind of close to the chest. I've had a couple guests that I've wanted to bring on and they don't want to spill the, you know, share the secret sauce, you know? (laughs) So I think it's the beauty of real estate Twitter. You've been a huge part of that. Guys like Moses and, you know, there's a, a handful of guys that have just really kind of created this ethos of sharing and being open. And you, I mean, I know one of our first guests that we brought on was a guy, uh, the Sultan of Storage, Barrett is his first name. I know that he had a call with you yep. early on when he was getting started in self-storage. I think he paid 1500 bucks. He said it was the best 1500 bucks he ever spent. You've changed his life, you know, like not to blow smoke, but like you really changed a guy's life. I think he's got, I don't know, seven or eight self-storages. You see him biking around uh, Europe with his family, you know, on Twitter. It's really incredible like what you've done. So I just want to thank you, first of all, myself, the listeners, you know, like I really appreciate the, you know, the environment that real estate Twitter is and how much you can learn on there. It's just unbelievable. It's an interesting place because when I started talking about what I do and how my business works and how we make money on Twitter, the natural, the lizard brain inside of us says, well, why? What do I have to gain? Why would I share this stuff? I'm going to breed competition. And my partner, he called me and he said, Nick, what are you doing? You're taking pictures of our profit and loss statements. You're telling people how and where we hire our foreign talent. You're telling people what service providers we use. We're, you're giving away everything that we do. You're talking about it all. And I said, Danny, just trust me. Just trust me. I think that, okay, yes, we might breed a competitor or two. Yes, it may be a little bit of scarcity in the storage business. There's only 50,000 properties. You know, We want to own 500 of them. There's a little bit of scarcity there. But I have a feeling that good people and people that we might want to work with and people who might want to invest in us, they'll find us. And sure enough, you know, we were able to buy $100 million of the storage because we raised $40 million of equity from people that I got face-to-face with through the Twitter DMs and people who got to look into my mind about how I thought about business. And it increased both of our net worth massively. So I think just the abundance mindset versus scarcity mindset was a huge part of it. Initially, you were on Reddit, right? You were writing on Reddit. Was that a totally different atmosphere, totally different kind of situation on Reddit? And I wanted to hear about just how you ended up switching over to Twitter, like who your biggest influences were, like how did that come about and like just the difference between the two platforms? Yeah. Social media, before I got on Twitter, I thought of social media as a place where angry people went to hate each other. Like they went to complain about politicians. I looked at how any celebrity on Twitter, as soon as they tweeted something, just the hate in the replies, you know, the toxicity of any community when it reaches scale. And so when Moses told me to come on Twitter, I was like, dude, no way, man. No way. That's a cesspool of just complete negativity. And I was on Reddit and that's what it was. Like Reddit, not much benefit came from Reddit. I didn't meet very many people. A bunch of anonymous accounts being really mean to each other. A scarcity mindset, crabs in a bucket. When you're trying to climb out and improve, people are going to grab you and pull you back down. But when I got on Twitter, I found out, yes, that there's that corner of Twitter. And now that I have 300 followers, 300,000 followers, I can't stay away from it. There's a lot of really mean people on Twitter. There's also a lot of deal makers. There's a lot of people who run companies. There's a lot of people who want to get better. There's a lot of people who want to get smarter. And it's changed my life for the better. And I've learned a lot and built some amazing relationships through Twitter. 
Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV. Like an adventure-ready RAV4, available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with the available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found on the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? A free flight to a bucket list destination? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, back to the show. I had the same kind of perception of just, you know, social media in general is just kind of a waste of time. And as soon as I got on real estate Twitter, I just was like, obsessed with it in a sense. You know, like now I do, we've got a newsletter. I want to get into your newsletter in a little bit, but we've got a financial markets newsletter called We Study Markets. I do the Twitter threads daily on, you know, on that on Twitter. And I just kind of want to hear about, like you spend a lot of time on Twitter. I wanted to hear about any downsides, particularly like, I know like with my wife, she's like, she doesn't quite get it yet. She views it maybe like a Facebook or like, it's just not a good use of time. I'm like, this is like how I get educated. This is how I learn. Like, this is like an incredible amount of information. Do you have any, like, are there downsides that you've seen to your like Twitter engagement and the time that you spend on Twitter? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's designed by some of the smartest tech and user experience engineers in the world to be addicting. So also there's nothing more stimulating than having hundreds and thousands of people hanging on every thought of yours. So yeah, it's addicting. I spend too much time on it. The dopamine hits from going viral on Twitter are serious and it's really hard to balance. So yeah, I, I go through phases where I have to take it off my phone and um, lock my phone in a box at 6 p.m. And it's not all fun, that's for sure. And there's just mean, there's mean people in any community. As the community grows, 
you're going to have people who just get jealous and upset and hate on people because they view things differently. So they take shots. I saw your one, I think it was last night, Pappy Van Winkle tweet that you did that I think it's got over a million impressions. So that's got to be fun to do. You had another tweet that I really liked about how you think about Twitter in terms of like those kind of tweets are kind of the top of the funnel. And then you you kind of work down to the newsletter, to the podcast, to your eight or whatever, eight, nine businesses that you've got going. Can you share a little bit about that more, like how you think about just that strategy in general? Because I think it's brilliant, like how you're playing the game. Yeah. Look, let me be clear that you can have 1,000 followers on Twitter and it can be life-changing. You can have 5,000 followers on Twitter and it can be life-changing. You can meet business partners, you can meet customers, you can meet investors, you can meet vendors. You don't have to take it to my level to get a lot of value out of Twitter, period. But people will also say like, Nick got 300,000 followers on Twitter because he's the self-storage guy. And that is just simply not true. You know, The way that I think about social media is it's a funnel. And at the top of the funnel is going to be the stuff that interests more people. And then you go a little bit more niche and you find content and you produce content that interests a smaller portion, but more valuable portion of the population. These are the business owners. These are the investors, whatever. Then you go even further down and you have a, a podcast where people can get on and listen to the way that you think about life and listen to your voice and get to know you in a more intimate way. Then at the very bottom for me is my email newsletter where every week I spend about two or three hours writing you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 words on management, hiring, real estate, firing, business, entrepreneurship, wealth. And that's where people really get to know me and how I think about business and life. So social media for me is a big funnel. And, and at, at the top of it is like, Okay, yeah, we have some goofs and engagement and some and some funny posts because I have a weird sense of humor and I can't help myself but pick on people who get really angry about nothing on the internet. I can't imagine being a grown human sitting in an office or a room or a house or outside or doing whatever they want to be doing at that moment and they get upset about what somebody else posts on Twitter. That's it, it, not a direct insult to them. I cannot wrap my head around that. So I just poke it. I can't help but poke it. But yeah, you got to cast a wide net. And I and a lot of my content is just about living a better life because I'm pretty passionate about you know living a balanced, better life. Well, I also feel like you use it too as a way to challenge like your own thinking, like to have really smart people. You talked about you know that you have strong opinions, Lucy Held. You'll put them out there and then you're open to changing your mind. So I wanted to hear about that a little bit. Like, have you had any like, whether it's business or real estate or self-storage, any like strong opinion that you've, you know, you've had that you've like put things out there and like somebody's changed your mind about? I think just a, a bigger picture. I think a lot of people do what I do and they tweet about business, entrepreneurship, whatever, and they get more entrenched in their own opinions because people start to battle them. They hunker down, they put their heels deep down and they fight back and then they become a little bit more radical. You see it all over the place. You see it in politicians, you see it in, in uh, celebrities, you see it all over the place of people getting more entrenched in their opinions when they tweet about it or they talk about it or they preach it or they make content around it or whatever it might be. I think I've become oddly a little bit more balanced. Like I've understood more points of view because I grew up in Southern Indiana, a very conservative Christian family. I had never interacted with Jewish people. I had never, I didn't have an African American friend until I went to college. I mean, this is who I was around and surrounded by and shaped growing up. Went to college and I went to a very liberal school in upstate New York, an Ivy League school. And that changed things. That was radically different than where I grew up. And then as I go about and form my opinions in entrepreneurship, wealth, you know, whether, whether or not it's for everybody is something that's really shifted. And one notable, very serious way that I've changed my mind on is you talked to me five years ago when I first started creating content, I thought entrepreneurship was for everybody. I thought if you weren't an entrepreneur and you weren't starting a business, you were lazy, you weren't driven, you didn't want to take any risk, and you were afraid. 
That is not true. Most people are not cut out for the chaos. Most people don't enjoy it. And most people don't need to have a super high-powered, crazy career to live a fun, enjoyable life. The majority of the population, over half of us, go to work every single day, do the bare minimum to get paid, and then find joy in other areas of life. We come home and we have hobbies, we have family, we have friends, we have other things that excite us. So I'm a little bit different in that way. And just understanding that not everybody's like me has been pretty eye-opening. I wanted to shift gears a little bit. You mentioned my co-host, Robert. You guys did an episode a while back, but he recently had a guest on. His name is Ken Rusk. He's actually an Ohio guy up in Toledo. And he wrote a book called Blue Collar Cash. A lot of ideas and principles are similar to your kind of sweaty startup ideas. I've got a son who's, he's a senior. He's going into his senior year. He's not a college guy. Like he's, it's not going to be his route. And I'm trying to encourage him to go more into the trades. So I wanted to hear, get your thoughts about, I know you've got what, two boys and a young daughter, right? I wanted to hear a little bit about just how you think about how you're going to advise them in terms of education and going to college versus like, you know, doing the sweaty startup, blue collar cash kind of route. You know, I might be speaking out of two sides of my face here because I am going to encourage my kids to go to college. I'm going to be, if things go well, I'm going to have a high net worth. I'm going to have a lot of resources. I'm going to have a lot of connections. And I don't think that my kids necessarily need to start out working with their hands. I think that they can skip that just because they'll be privileged enough to have my mentorship and my background. That said, that, that's not the case that most people are in. Most people are not in that situation. And way too many kids are spending 60 grand a year on liberal arts degrees when they could either not go to college and start working the same jobs that they're going to have access to with their liberal arts degree or they could go work for small businesses in the service sector and do really well for themselves. And when it comes to entrepreneurship, that's where I have a pretty strong opinion of, hey, there's two ways to go about entrepreneurship. There's the what most people think that entrepreneurship is, where it's, you know, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Shark Tank, you know, new invention, new idea, big idea, raise money. If you walk by anybody on the street and say, hey, what's entrepreneurship to you? That's what they'll talk about. When in reality, the wealthy people in my town, the rich people that I know, the people who have done really well for themselves, the people who have bought back their time, they have more freedom. You ask them what they do, and it's normal, existing, old-fashioned businesses where, hey, there's a problem out there. Something needs clean. Something needs cut. Something needs maintained. Something needs built. Somebody needs help with something. We're just going to go do it. We don't need to be spectacular business. We don't need to have a, a moat. We don't need to have a new idea. We don't need to raise venture capital. There's customers here. There's businesses here. All we got to do is get a little slice of the pie. So. When I hear entrepreneurs say, hey, go follow your passion, you know, chase big dreams, big goals, it makes me sad because the best way to have a smart person end up with a job is tell them to go chase what they're passionate about because they're going to chase things that other people are also passionate about. There's going to be a ton of competition. And the world is a sick place and it doesn't care. The world does not care about you and what you're passionate about, period. The world could care less. The economy could care less what you love doing. Okay. It exists. People are paying money all day, every day for things that they need around their houses and their lives and their, you know, in their worlds. You can decide that, hey, I'm going to find a way to go get some of that or I'm going to do what I'm passionate about. My advice every single time is to do whatever can set you up to then later in life do what you're passionate about. Totally makes sense. I wanted to shift gears a little bit, you know, real estate show here. I wanted to talk a little bit about just your market views, what you see going on in whether it's self-storage, commercial real estate. Have you done any acquisitions lately? I think I, I listened to a podcast you did with Chris Powers maybe three or four months ago about things just weren't penciling. So I just wanted to hear a little bit more about what you're seeing right now and what you're looking towards unfolding like in the next three to six, nine months. Yeah. 
Another one of my side businesses is a uh, property and casualty insurance business. And we're seeing just another industry where you look at like what's piling up against real estate right now, the list against real estate is getting longer and longer and longer. It's interest rates going way up, insurance costs going way up, property taxes going way up. And finally, we're seeing a world where rent growth and you know inflow of tenants is not just a given. It's not just something that has happened from the post-COVID stimulus, right? So real estate for us in the self-storage business is not fun right now. You could hear different things from other people. I'm not having fun in real estate. It's not fun at all. We are not making big chunks of money. We're not transacting. We're not selling. We're not refinancing. We're not putting hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in our pocket like we were in 2021, 2022. 2021, we bought $50 million worth of storage. 2021, 50 million. 2022, $38 million. So far in 2023, we're halfway through the year and we bought one deal for $1.2 million. I have 45 people on my payroll. We're spending more money on deal flow than we've ever spent. We're underwriting probably 20 deals a week, looking at hundreds of deals a week. And seller expectations, they want too much money for interest rates being 7.5%. Well, how do you see things unfolding then? Like what's going to happen with all this? I mean, like there's, there's going to be some kind of reckoning. I just kind of want to hear like how you're preparing for it. Yeah. We now have a portfolio. We now have something to lose. And I have to do my job, which is protect my investor capital and my own capital. So I spend a lot of time thinking about the downside and managing risk. And that's another thing. Like, If you're listening to the show and you haven't made it yet, you got to be careful who you're getting advice from. If you're getting advice from a bunch of people who are already wealthy and already rich, they're going to have a totally different mindset than you are trying to make it. If I were brand new with nothing to lose, I would be risk on right now. I'd be going around looking for opportunities. Instead, I have a big portfolio I'm protecting. I'm thinking about the downside. I'm thinking about, hey, how can I get through the next couple of years, no matter what happens, and make sure I don't lose any buildings? It's a really important part of all of this. So if I was a gambling man, I'd say it's a 50-50 shot, right? It's a 50% chance that total chaos hit and there's blood in the streets. There's a 50% chance that rates start to drop and this goes down as just another mild you know, recession. So I'm not smart enough to predict what could potentially happen, but I know that inside of my company, we're worried and we're protecting against the downside, which is uh, loans that are maturing and cash crunch from investors and, and a debt crunch from bankers and protecting from that trifecta of, of horrific situations for real estate investors. When, you, when the banks slow down and they're not lending as much money, and when the investors slow down, they're not giving you as much money, and the tenants slow down, they're not moving into your properties as fast as they were, those three things can create a snowball of destruction. You've been putting out a lot of content, like PDFs, I think, to you know, get emails, to get people signed up for the newsletter. A lot of great content. One of them was what like real estate asset class you would be interested in if you weren't into self-storage. So I wanted to hear a little bit about that. I've actually I've gotten some of those PDFs, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. One of them on the business, the 20 steps or the 20 tools that you use for business. Yep. Super useful. Talk to us a little bit though about asset classes though. That if you were, you know, just starting off, we've got a lot of beginning intermediate investors. What would pique your interest right now? What asset classes would you focus on? So this is another thing that if you only listen to people who have built massive wealth and have big portfolios, they're gonna feel a lot differently about real estate than you are as somebody who's just starting out. My advice would be to go towards an asset class that has more operational moving parts, something that's really harder to scale. Like start with something that's hard to scale instead of going after, you know, okay, multifamily 300 plus unit properties where yes, you can buy $500 million with a multifamily in one year. Yes, there's a very scalable model to do that. There's no private equity firms going around buying $500 million worth of RV parks or daycares or single tenant industrial where, you know, you got to do a lot of work to run these as small businesses. So I love it. I love it. There's a lot of moving parts. Like imagine an RV park. You can 
cost seg the hell out of it. It's super, super tax efficient to buy an RV park because of all those ground improvements. And there's a lot of moving parts. You got to move in RVs. You got to keep the place clean. You got to keep the utilities maintained. People hit stuff. People have problems at these properties. All of that spells opportunity for me if I'm a beginning real estate investor because I want headache. I want it to be non-scalable because when it's not scalable, I'm not competing against big money. I'm not competing against nationwide companies. I'm not competing against everybody. I'm competing against one region. And if I can buy a kind of a small business that's disguised as real estate, that's a win for me. Self-storage checks that box. A self-storage facility, people think of it as a, as a real estate investment. And yes, it is, but it's a small business inside of it, coupled with it. Same applies to many other asset classes that I love. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV. Like an adventure-ready RAV4, available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with the available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? A free flight to a bucket list destination? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, taking forever to close the books, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, you should know three numbers, 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their book in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. Business owners know the power and simplicity of using one tool for things such as scaling up their business, adopting new business models, and easily viewing real-time analytics on one interface. NetSuite offers the unprecedented ability to make all this possible. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com mi. That's netsuite.com mi to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com mi. 
All right, back to the show. So things are slow right now. Real estate is not fun for a lot of people. Is that why you've been focused on these, you know, scaling these other businesses and and getting those off the ground? I wanted to hear kind of like an average day for you right now. Like, how are you spending your time? Is it on the businesses that you're, you know, you're throwing a lot at the wall right now? And I, mm-hmm. I'm sure a hundred, like a lot of them are going to stick and do really well. Talk to us about just like how you are spending your time. Because I read something like you work in what, 30 or 35 hours a week, but yet it seems like, and you do not, it doesn't seem like you've got this, you've got a lot going on. So talk to us about just how you spend your time. Yeah, I have a team at my, above all my companies, a team that's helping me run my companies, an operator, head of marketing, content person. We have two video editors. We have an HR person. So like the company above the companies is growing. I can, I can kind of flip a switch and get my individual operators at these companies, what they need to run these companies. But no, it's still, that said, it's still stressful. Like there's nothing more stressful than a three month old company. From month three to month 12, it is not fun no matter how good of a business you're in because you are hiring, you are building processes. The first three months is fun. It's exciting. The website's coming. The first customers are coming. Everybody's excited. Month three, you're like, wow, I've been working hard for three months and the problems are just starting. So it's a lot to get all these companies off the ground. But I have my model is that I partner with operators. Like I partner with people who are already really good at what we're trying to do and what we're trying to offer. And they can actually help and they know how to run teams and build teams and delegate. So it's not like I am uh, interviewing candidates at each individual company. I am working closely with my operator and they're growing the businesses. So I spend probably half my time, 15 hours a week on content, whether it's Twitter, podcast appearances like this, my newsletter, and the other 15 hours a week are on a you know, working with my individual operators and giving them the tools they need to build and grow these companies. I wanted to jump to the newsletter. You mentioned that. I think you've grown from what, like 40,000 subscribers to like over a hundred at this point in the past three months. I want to hear about Mm -hmm. that growth. I want to hear about your producing and writing your own content, correct? Like you don't, I think like you're not farming it out to anybody. It's your voice. It's your, your yeah. ideas. I think mm-hmm. you view it almost like a diary. So can you talk a little bit about how you think about the newsletter and its growth? Yeah. I think about the newsletter as a list that I own. One of the only lists that I own. I don't own my Twitter account. I could get deplatformed at any time. I'm just a cog in Elon's Twitter machine. So I know that if I rely on Twitter to be a long-term business development tool, then it's sort of risky. So I focused on building an email newsletter list of people who want to get a look in my mind and I can reach out and touch their inbox every Monday or every Monday and Thursday if I want or you know, go a whole month without doing it if I want. I mean, that's, that's the big tool as I grow these companies and as I grow my personal brand and, and reach is, is that email newsletter. So I write it. I don't delegate the writing. I cross you know, all the content is kind of a flywheel, meaning I write my newsletter and from that newsletter comes several tweets. From those tweets comes several small videos. From from all those thoughts comes the things that I can say on podcast interviews like this. So it's all a flywheel, but I don't delegate the newsletter writing. I think it's really tough to build trust and build an audience if you're going to farm out the writing piece. I think you follow Justin Welsh. Like He's got a really great model for content creation and then how to... I forget what he calls it, but it's like kind of brilliant. He's the solopreneur guy. I believe you actually like reposted I'm one of his... I'm a good friend with Justin. Yeah. He's okay. a great guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, how, Do you remember what he calls that? Like how he... Because he, he'll create like a ton of different Twitter posts and threads just from like a, a single newsletter that he puts out. Yeah. So Justin, is a, he's elected to have a small team. And I think that's amazing. Solopreneurship can mean a number of different things. I think he'll end up with some employees, some, you know, especially in the Philippines and Colombia to delegate some small tasks, but he sells coaching and 
courses. He writes his newsletter and he is a very good copywriter. He can write very well on Twitter and LinkedIn and he's grown. I mean, he's got, I think, 800 or a million followers across Twitter and LinkedIn alone and he's grown a, a great business. I mean, look, this is why business is so amazing and so exciting to me because there can be two people with two different goals. His goal, make great money and with a small team. My goal is to build an amazing, a big team make even more money, hopefully, if things go well. But like, I love interacting with the people and, and managing the people and enabling and empowering the people. You can still do really well in business without that goal. And that's why it's so fun. There's nuance here. There's decisions that you make every single day as an entrepreneur, and there's no right decision. There's no playbook on how to make the decision, and there's no right one. Like, You can make a different decision and still win each way. Kind of making it up as, as we all go along in some ways too, like trying to figure out what works, you know, like it's an exciting time for sure. I, I wanted to hear a little bit about your why, like, you know, you are, I forget what your cash flow is right now per month. It's like a ton, like you've magnified it quite a bit here. Mm-hmm. What's your long range goal? What are you trying to push towards? And is there a, uh, an, an end game? There was a investor, Nick Sleep is the guy's name, and he ran a company called a Nomad Partnership, Investment Partnership. He retired at 45. He had a, like an X number. And once he hit that, he was going to be done. And he did it. Like I think, and that's really hard for people to do because the number keeps moving. I wanted to hear a little bit about your why and like what the end game is for you. I'll let you know when I figure that out. Now, it's really easy for me to say like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tone it back when I get to X or when I get this number in my bank account, I'm done. But an amazing thing happens is that when you make more money, when you start more businesses, when you get a bigger reach, when your distribution grows, more opportunities come your way the level of opportunities grow. So I say no almost all the time now. People approach me with potential partnerships, investments, you know, ideas, businesses to buy, all these different things that I could do to start, you know, spend my time in different areas. The answer is almost always no because I have to be protective of my time and what I'm going to go after. But look, I love this game. I love it. I'm going to try to prove everybody wrong that I can do this. I can build an empire without working 80 hours a week. And it's almost like me preaching to myself. I write this content all day. I write this newsletter. I talk about delegation and I am really preaching to myself. People think like, oh, Nick is such a great teacher. I'm just reminding myself of what I should be doing. I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm also a pretty balanced person. I want to, I love playing golf. I love fly fishing. I love travel. I love hanging out with my kids. I love hanging out with my wife. I like you know, all the different things that come with it. So I really think there's three different levels of wealth. The first level is that you can actually pay your bills without stress. Like you can survive, you can feed your kids and you can survive. The second level is that you can go in a restaurant and not worry about the price of any of the dishes and you can order what you want to order. And the third level is that you can just travel anywhere you want to go without worrying about the cost of the travel in the hotel when you get there. Beyond that, there is no difference to 250 grand a month of cash flow or $250 million a month of cash flow. The boat's bigger, the plane's bigger, the house is bigger. That's it. That's really it. Yes, I would like to get an airplane. And then it's about building awesome memories with great people. And part of that is business. Like, I think an amazing thing about entrepreneurship and business is that I can create millionaires. Like, I can turn other people into millionaires. That's a really fun thing. And I'm going to do that to a lot of people, which is great. I mean, my long term goal is to, yes, I have a certain amount of cash flow per month right now. It's $250,000 a month. I want to get that to a million dollars a month. I want to start buying businesses. But right now, I'm starting these companies and I'm surrounding myself with operators, people who are operating these companies. I'm getting to know them. I'm, getting to, I'm seeing how they think. I'm seeing how, where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are. And I'm getting familiar with them and comfortable with them. We're growing these companies. Several of them will be shut down and not work. Several of them will be big companies and great companies. I don't know which ones. 
that in itself is fun. The fact that I'm making decisions now and I don't know the outcome, that makes it so fun. The other half of it is when I get to know these people and my reach has grown and these businesses have grown and I have a Rolodex of amazing operators that are on my team. And look, right now, all I'm doing is surrounding myself with great people. That's it. Like I spend my time each week collecting talent and I'm getting them in my ecosystem and I'm working with them and I'm getting to know them. And then five years from now, when the cash flow is here and we have the bankroll and we have the, an even bigger network, it's okay, instead of go start an agency, we're going to buy a $10 million company and we're just going to do it. I'm going to put my money in and we're, I already have the operations team that we're going to turn this business around with. Like that stuff seems really fun to me. I look at business as a, a puzzle. It's a challenge. It's exciting. It's stressful. It gets me uncomfortable. It makes me grow as a person. I think I'll, I'll always want to do it. I'll, I'll never, hey, I'm going to check out and go to the beach. It's, of course, I'm going to work less. Of course, I'm going to have, you know, leverage other people to do more and more of the work. But entrepreneurship is just fun. It's a game and I love playing it. So I think I'll do it for a really long time. Some of what you're saying reminds me, I watched the uh, Arnold documentary on Netflix. I don't know if you saw that. It's three-part series and you know, first starts off with his bodybuilding career, then acting career, and then political career. And along the way, like, you know, he was basically when people told him no, like it just gave him all the more impetus to like prove people wrong. So in some ways, like it's like you wanna, I don't know, I, I kind of like what you're saying. Like I was really inspired by the documentary. Some of what you're saying is kind of rings true to what he's saying in terms of tell me I can't do it and I'll, I'll show you that I can in some ways, you know. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are telling me that I can't grow a real estate empire at the same time as build companies at the same time as, you know, be a good husband and be a good dad and be fit. And I'm going to try, I'm going to try my best to do it all just to prove them wrong. Maybe. You got a couple minutes here for a quick fire round. Yeah. All right. Uh, your main superpower. What is it? I'm charismatic. I can get people to follow along in my mission. Favorite real estate conference. I'll reconvene with Moses Kagan out in Los Angeles. Who's the smartest guy you know that's made the biggest impact on your life? Chris Powers. He's the real estate guy in Dallas-Fort Worth. He's the one who taught me to build my he taught me to build my real estate private equity company the right way. He's also a flawed human like me that is working every single day to get better. He's humble. He's just a great mentor of mine. Yeah, he did a, a podcast. It's been a month or two ago with uh, Brent Bishore. Yep. Brent's amazing too. Yeah. It was a fantastic podcast where Chris really opened up about his own, you know, his own journey in a way that I thought was very authentic and real and really touched me. There's a mentor of Chris's that made a huge impact that I had on the show named John Marsh, who I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but he is a really another incredible guy that I think Chris actually kind of looks up to and gets a lot of advice from. So really good stuff. Amazing. Last one here real quick. Most impactful purchase under 250 bucks. Under 250 bucks. I got some insoles for my feet recently. They're called Power Step and my foot pain went away and that's been a, an amazing thing. But I also, once a week, I have a personal trainer come to my house and work with my wife. That's a great investment. I have a tonal on my wall that is, you know, okay, it costs 3,500 bucks, but it's 50 bucks a month. And I love it to get 15 minute workouts in that get me sore. And I only have to do it twice a week to feel strong. A nanny for my family has been the best investment that we have ever made. We weren't sure if we would use all the hours. We weren't sure about the stress, what our family would think. It's been incredible to have that. And I think ultimate life hack is a private plane sitting 15 minutes from your house where you can get anywhere in a time machine, but I'm not there yet. Nick, I really appreciate your time. I know you got to run here um, for the people that want to find out more about you. I know you're on Twitter, but any other ways that people can get in touch with you and learn about what you're up to? Yeah, go to sweatystartup.com and sign up for my newsletter. Get a look into my brain every week and... Uh, you know, if you buy real estate and you want to look at my cost seg firm, recostseg.com, or my property and casualty insurance company, it's uh, titanrisk.com. 
we have some amazingly hardworking brokers over there at Titan Risk and Bolt Storage paid 380 grand a year in insurance for our 63 properties. We found a new carrier and got that down to $280,000. So I'm pretty excited about the flywheel of me being a customer of these companies is pretty fun too. And when it kind of saves you money or makes your business better to be a customer. Yeah, no doubt. I'll put links to all the uh, the businesses, Ari Koseg and you know all the different things, uh, Titan and uh, some of the web, what is it, Web Run Labs and all that stuff. I'll put in the uh, show notes yep. for sure. Patrick, thanks for having me. I'm a huge fan of what you do. The audience that you all are building is huge too. So you're going to be able to have a lot of fun and impact a lot of people. So I'm excited to do more of these over the years. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks, Patrick. Bye. Okay, folks, that's all I had for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the show and I'll see you back here real soon. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.